Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get this party started. Episode 3 of the Statman Dave Football Podcast. If you're not checked out episode 1, episode number 2, where have you been in the last few days? You can check it out on Acast, on iTunes and of course on YouTube if you want to see a bit of video of myself truly dropping those bombs. But anyway guys, uh, it's been a very interesting Tuesday. Champions League football, the Champions League was back. I was so pumped up, so hyped up. But anyway, today we're going to go through some news, then we're going to review the Champions League games, then we're going to talk a little bit about a team of the week. Uh, I'm going to give you my team of the week across uh, Europe's top five leagues. Stop moving. And then I'm going to finish off with a little bit of previews for this evening's Champions League clashes between uh, Real Madrid and Napoli, and of course the big one, Bayern Munich versus Arsenal. But anyway... Let's dive straight into the news right now. Well, news time. We're going to keep this short and brief because we all know the main news is the Champions League. But anyway, um, it's been reported today in the Mirror that Diego Costa is set to sign a new contract at Chelsea for a reported £57 million, putting him on £220,000 per week. Not as close, not as um, much as Paul Pogba, as Latin Rich, but that is a big cracking wage. It's interesting in world football how you throw your toys out the pram, you say you're going to leave a club, you pretty much get more money. Imagine if I did that in my job. Wouldn't really happen, would it? But anyway, I'm not a footballer. Moving on to Asamoah Gyan has a... His haircut's been deemed unethical in the UAE and he might have to get a new trim. But he's had a lot of interesting haircuts in the past, but anyway... Whatever. And moving on to the last little thing, Podolski is off to Japan instead of China, bucking the current trend in world football. He's going to join Vassell Kobe over in Japan for a reported £15 million per season. That is a lot of cash, with Galatasaray reported to pocket £2.7 million from, from the former German international. And that's about it for the news, guys, because the main news, of course, is the Champions League, the return. Come on! First up, I think we've got to talk about the big one. PSG versus Barcelona. Yesterday, I called 2-1 Barcelona. What an idiot I am. The game was completely different. I didn't see that coming a mile off. Seeing Barcelona this season, I've have commented they've been sloppy in midfield. But this was next-level sloppy. 
but credit to PSG. Let's talk PSG first. Let's do the positives before we dive into the Barcelona negatives. So PSG, um, their midfield, it's becoming a little bit more Unai Emery-ish, if that makes sense. It's being a little bit more like the Sevilla midfield that we saw last season. What I liked about the PSG midfield is they did set up in a 4-3-3 going forward and then defending in a 4-5-1. But what was so interesting was the pressing. So when Barcelona were building up, one of the central midfielders would, would advance and join Edison Cavani, making a sort of 4-4-2 shape or a 4-4-1-1, which is very Unai Emery. And it was perfect to kill Barcelona's momentum and their attack. Blaise Matuidi was pushing ahead of the line when the ball was on Barcelona's right. Um, so when Lionel Messi or Andre Gomez got the ball, Matuidi would instantly be on them, instantly p- applying that pressure. When it flipped to the other side, when it was in midfield, Iniesta, um, Neymar had the ball again. It'd be um, Verratti would be pushing forward and pressing the central midfielder or the wide player and it was brilliant from Unai Emery perfect tactical discipline from his side and I was so so impressed how they broke how they counted but the shape was all behind that the shape was the reason that gave them the ability to press so well to cause Barcelona so much trouble to put them under pressure in their own third and really cause them problem playing out of the back and that's something we've seen from Barcelona um, in the last few seasons is their ability to play out of the back um, they played a few lovely moves from, from goalkeeper to centre-back to central midfielder, back to goalkeeper, back to the centre-back, and then they get their attack going. But PSG did really well to stifle it after they got out that defensive third. So as soon as Barcelona had played out the initial press, I really liked the second line of PSG pressure. Very, very aggressive in midfield. The three central midfielders were absolutely fantastic. Verratti, Matuidi, and of course, Rabiot. Rabiot, let's start off with Rabiot, because um, a little bit of a, a poor decision in the, in the first half. You know, diving in, taking Neymar down and picking up a yellow card. And I was thinking, that is a little bit silly. Because at that point, um, the midfield was, uh, Verratti was holding. Yeah, Matuidi on one side and then um, Rabiot was was playing as the other central midfielder. And I was thinking, oh, that's kind of like put you out of the game. Because you you think of um, an aggressive midfielder, you want someone to press. On a booking, that takes their intensity down a little bit. Because, you know, they, they make one rash decision, bang, that's a red card, you're gone. Ten men, you've lost the game. But I really liked it from Unai Emery, who switched it up. Verratti was moved to that right central midfield slot, and uh, Rabiot dropped back to defensive midfield. It was perfect. But at defensive midfield, he had a really, really good game. He was, it, it was a real mature performance. A bit of immaturity for the, for the yellow card. But then when he got into the game, um, reading the play was perfect. His tackling was really, really spot on. In terms of interceptions, he made four interceptions against Barca. No play on the pitch managed more. And he nutmegged Lionel Messi with a brilliant bit of skill. But it was his ability to break up and distribute the ball quickly that I was impressed with Rabiot. Moving on to uh, Blaise Matuidi. I love Blaise Matuidi, his pressure, his intensity is so, so good. His ability to get past um, the forward, to get past, to overlap the winger, it's always been good. But what Blaise Matuidi did so well was he was sort of the guy leading the line. Barcelona built up a lot of their attacks down that right-hand side into the Blaise Matuidi zone, because I mentioned before the shape, the 4-4-1-1 that it dropped to, Blaise Matuidi pushing on. And he was just so good at harassing Barcelona. So good. He, he broke up uh, Busquets' his rhythm. He killed um, you know, the play out the back. Quite interestingly, you, usually in um, this Enrique Barcelona team, a lot of the ball goes through Busquets. He's sort of the guy that's picking up the ball and he's playing it. He's distributing. He's sort of become um, you know, the number six, but just in front of the back four in the Barca midfield. But what Matuidi was doing so well, putting him under so much pressure, that it ended up PK had completed the most passes on the pitch for um, any Barcelona player. And you think of the quality, PK is really good on the ball, but 
if you're, you know, Blaise Matuidi that was cutting out that supply line, you're pushing Barcelona that yard further back. And then, obviously, the turnovers in that defensive third I mentioned before, fantastic from PSG. Verratti, though, for me, was my man of the match. You know, taken off a little bit early, came off to injury, but he was so, so good in the game. He's just absolutely fantastic. The goal that uh, he created for, for Di Maria was just... Uh, it was it was a passing between the lines, and that's what he did so well. He kept on receiving the ball and kept on breaking the Barcelona's press. He kept on splitting them. There were a number of times before the Di Maria goal um, that actually Verratti had found Di Maria in between the lines and he'd made the wrong decision. Di Maria is such a frustrating player. We'll talk about him in a minute, but he wasn't making the right decision. But Verratti consistently finding those balls in between the line. In terms of tackles, he won four out of six tackles in the entire game. When he was on the pitch, no player managed more there. Um, in terms of his pass accuracy, it was up 88%, which is absolutely quality when you play Barcelona. But I think it was quality from all the PSG central midfielders in terms of um, their ball retention. You know, Blaise Matuidi completed 98% of his passes uh, and then Rabio 90% so it was a really good performance but what Verratti was doing was he wasn't being so safe for the ball he was looking for those balls in between the lines and it was so good I absolutely love Verratti one of my favourite players in world football right now and he's an asset to this PSG side and they will you know they are going to push on to the next round of the Champions League it's pretty much game over at four goals to nil it was quite reminiscent of the the Bayern Munich 2012-13 destruction of Barcelona it's quite similar there where that was the end of the, the Pep Guardiola hype, the Pep Guardiola style of football. And potentially, it is time for Lucio to go. The intensity for Barcelona was shocking. But before we move on to Barcelona, let's just touch on the um, PSG front three, who I thought were absolutely fantastic. First, Edison Cavani through the middle, pressed very, very well, retained the ball quite well, which is quite, I quite liked. Whenever it came to his feet, he was always looking for that little pass back into midfield to, to retain possession, which is key against Barcelona, because as soon as you lose it, you ain't going to get it back for another 15 minutes. But PSG's pressure did break that up, and obviously he took his, it took his goal really well. Uh, you know, uh, Cavani of last season, or Cavani of this uh, earlier in the season, you know, the game against Arsenal, would have missed that chance. But he took it so well, he took it expertly, a brilliant finish um, into the corner of the goal past to Sagan. Anyway, in terms of the other attackers, Di Maria, fantastic. Inconsistent in terms of what he was doing, but when he got it right, he got it right. The free kick was wonderful. The goal he scored was individual, was just individual brilliance. I absolutely loved He received the ball and it's the shimmy just outside the penalty area. The little feint before he opened himself up and curls it into the top corner. It's just absolutely incredible. So good use of his body. A brilliant body feint and then a wonderful curled shot. But again, I mentioned before, he wasted a few possession a few times in that same area where it was in between the lines of the Barcelona midfield and attack and defence sorry was just making the wrong decisions playing a through ball when he should have driven playing a um, you know trying to take someone on when he could have played a simple pass so it was a kind of a mixed game for Angel Di Maria but obviously came up trumps with the two goals so you can't really question that at all and in terms of Julian Draxler I thought he, he had a mixed game um, again it was something that I really liked from Emery was his interchange of his two wide players they switched position that was crucial because I thought Sergio Roberto had a fantastic game up against Julian Draxler. In terms of tackles, he won more than any other Barcelona player on the pitch, but also did a very good job defensively in the first half. There were times where Draxler was dribbling at him, made the right tackle. Times where you know there were passes that were going to Draxler, intercepted it. Did very, very well. Got forward well. Draxler wasn't tracking him in a defensive sense, which is something potentially Emery needs to work on with Julian Draxler. And uh, Roberto was getting forward very, very well in that first half. But obviously, the switch came when they flipped it. So Di Maria came to that left-hand side, Draxler went to the right, and then he scored the goal. It was literally like 30 seconds after they'd switched positions, bang, he scores a goal. Gets a little bit more space. Obviously, Sergio Roberto had the you know the best game of any Barcelona player. Anyway, on to Barcelona. What a load of rubbish they were. Absolutely atrocious. Lionel Messi first, you know, 
the, the big moment where he lost the ball um, for the second goal showed no work to, to win it back. It was very, very poor. But if you look in terms of his stats, Lionel Messi is one of those players that's a stat anomaly where every single game he'll be top um, of dribbles completed, top of completion um, of passes in the final third, top of shots, top of chance created. It just didn't have a sniff against PSG. They just completely nullified him. You know, Neymar completed more passes in the final third. Messi only completed 10 passes in the final third, which is very, very poor for Lionel Messi. Only completed two take-ons, um, two dribbles. Absolutely rubbish. Um, you know, didn't get a shot on target. And just had a really, really, really poor game. And, I, you know, again, I think it's the intensity. It, the same thing happened after Tata Martinez, end of his reign. The intensity of Barcelona just dropped off. They were like, you know, it looked like they couldn't be bothered. And in a big game like this, you can't afford to do that. I mentioned before um, in yesterday's podcast that you've got to, they've got to defend as a four. They've got to come back. Neymar's got to work hard and just didn't do that in the game at all. He was the best player going forward, I did think. But apart from that, you know, defensively very, very poor. But moving on to one of the biggest problems was their midfield. You know, Busquets, Iniesta and Andre Gomez. Andre Gomez, uh, you know... I, I thought he was brilliant at the European Championships. You know, the, his close control, his ability to create chances, fantastic. His confidence is just shot at Barca. He's not doing what he used to do. He used to have confidence. He used to take people on. He used to complete passes in the final third. He used to complete forward passes. And he's just not doing that for Barca at the moment, alone at the moment. You know, the game went to at Celtic, at Celtic Park, at yeah, Parkhead, sorry. Poor, absolutely poor on the ball. And again, we saw that from his stats. Just absolutely atrocious. Rubbish. And with a player like Ivan Rakitic on the bench, who can do this functional job and gave Barcelona a lot in terms of a tactical element when they won the Champions League, I don't understand why um, Enrique's gone with Andre Gomez. I just don't know. I don't get it. But in terms of his game by numbers against PSG, failed to create a chance, missed the biggest chance Barcelona had of the game, picked up a yellow card, won only one of his five tackles, and only completed six forward passes. That is rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. If you think about, just to to put that on a playing field, Sergio Busquets, who had a bad game, completed 24 forward passes, and this fella, six. Absolutely rubbish. But it is a problem. You think of the intensity, the fight, the one tackle, the one out of five, rubbish. Rakitic came on, he was on for like 10 minutes, won three out of his four tackles, looked bright, looked pressing, and that was what Barca really missed, is that intensity. And that, unfortunately, potentially is why Lucio, um, Luis Enrique, it's, it's time over. Someone like Sampoli coming in um, would be so good. We've seen what he's done with Sevilla. Imagine if he had a better calibre of player at Barcelona, that intensity back again, the pressing football that we all love from Barcelona. But Suarez was poor. Lequipe ratings was absolutely fantastic um, of the Barcelona team, with MSN each picking up a 2 out of 10. Uh, probably deserved, in my opinion. But anyway, that has been the little, uh, little tactical analysis of PSG versus Barcelona credit to Unai Emery he won the game he won the manager battle he won the tactical battle but some real big performances there from Julian Draxler Di Maria Cavani Verratti and the two centre-backs we've not even touched on were fantastic that was something that I highlighted potentially this could be a weakness for this side you know, two very young and inexperienced uh, centre-halves uh, Marquinhos and uh, Kimimbep and both were brilliant both defended so so well kept their composure on the ball were really good, made real good key tackles at the right time and they were just so confident and so calm absolutely brilliant performance from PSG and that is why I love the Champions League because you see stuff like this happening sorry being a bit of a football nerd hey I'm on a podcast will you just message me later on sorry about that guys some people right let's move on to the other game the other big one 
in the Champions League. So on to game number two, Benfica versus Borussia Dortmund. Well, let's start first up. Borussia Dortmund, how many flaming chances did they miss? They absolutely dominated the game. They dominated possession. They dominated chance creation. They dominated opportunities. And they just couldn't put the ball away. And it's absolutely crazy. Thomas Tuchel tactically, you know, did a job on Benfica in terms of the, the shape the unpredictability of movement, you know, someone that I mentioned yesterday, who's Mandembele from central midfield, was fantastic, was drifting around, driving, um, winning tackles. There's something I've not seen from Dembele before is his ability to, to win the tackles and win the ball back. And he created a great moment for Aubameyang earlier on in the game, you know, inside 20 minutes, where he robbed um, the Benfica player deep in midfield, threw ball to Aubameyang, Aubameyang one-on-one, misses the f- target, you know, smashes the ball over the bar. And that was the consistent trend in the game. Dortmund created really good chances, Aubameyang missed them. There were three big ones that he, he's got to score. You know, the one I just mentioned there, the Usman Dembele turnover um, to the through ball to over the bar. Then we had the one where uh, a player went wide, slid the, I think it was Guerrero went wide, slid the ball across, and he just completely missed the slide. And then, of course, the penalty. Very, very, very poor penalty. Seems like it was telemarked by Edison, the goalkeeper. And it was big moments that Dortmund really showed their inconsistency. And that's been something they've been doing this season a lot. They'll have such hot games and they'll have such cold games. Think about the whole Champions League group stage. They're pretty hot. You know, 21 goals, the most of um, any teams managed in the Champions League history. And then you go to that game where they create about, they should have won 5-1, but they're just not taking their chances at this level. You know, Dembele, for all of his good work, his creativity, missed chances. Royce missed chances. Socrates missed a brilliant chance at the back post following a free kick. And it was just that, it was so strange to see when a team has beaten, a t- no, battered a team so hard, but just can't put the ball into the back of the net. But I think you've got to credit the goalkeeper. Edison had an absolute fantastic game. There were some really good saves that he made in the first half. And in the second half, he started to really tick on you know, the, the penalty save. Very, very bold. It wasn't the greatest of penalties in terms of height, in terms of um, how powerful the ball was hit. If you go down the middle, you've got to smash it. Um, and he stood up, brilliant save. But there was two other moments, two shots from outside the area that were just fantastic reactions. And, you know, one Porto this game. Uh, one, sorry, Benfica this game. Sorry, a bit of a slip there. Uh, you know, one deflected shot from outside the area, tipped over the bar. Another one from Julian Weigel, who had a very, very good game in a, in a ball-playing creative sense. Uh, again, fantastic save from Edison. But really, it was Dortmund's game um, that they lost and Benfica won the game. Their goal was so, so sloppy. Uh, pretty much one of the only opportunities they had. They only had one shot on target and scored one goal. And obviously it was a, a bit of a dodgy one, a little bit of a lucky touch from Mitroglou following a, a corner. Um, a keeper sh- jumps to one side and then it's a, a simple tap-in. But I didn't feel like Benfica really deserved it. Defensively, they showed a little bit of quality, but they were dominated. One player that really shone for me as well, uh, Bartra. Not been not had his greatest season. Now there's been mistakes in there, but what he is starting to become for Dortmund, he's becoming their Matt Hummels. Matt Hummels is the best ball playing centre back in world football in terms of his passing range and his ability to play make from the back. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all 
wrong. What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And we kind of saw that from Ryan Bartra, sorry Ryan, Mark Bartra in the game. Uh, a brilliant display, completed more passes than any other player on the pitch. But what was more interesting is he completed more passes to the final third than any other player. So he was really hitting um, uh, his teammates in those right areas and he was really bringing the ball out and being expansive and controlling the tempo. Him and Julian Weigel, you know, lovely interchange of positions, lovely um, combination of passing play between those two players. But again... Archer was fantastic on the ball in terms of winning it back as well. He made the joint most interceptions of any uh, Dortmund player, the, the most joint most tackles. Just had a really good all-round game. And I do think that you know they go back to the, the Secunda Park. It's going to be an absolute hammering for Benfica if it's the same. Because I think Dortmund had a really off night in terms of their forwards. They take one of those chances, the momentum goes, and they start scoring the goals. But yeah, it was a, it was an interesting game. The tactical uh, makeup of it, the three-five-two versus the four-four-two, which switched to a three-four-three. Later on in the game with Usman Dembele going a little bit wider and Dortmund really pushing on and Bartra sort of coming out and being in a way a third central midfielder sort of dropping to two centre-backs and then the sort of Bartra bringing the ball as well. Piszczek did that as well. So there was a lot of great um, angles and, and passing combinations that was created by this Dortmund system. I just can't believe they didn't win the game. But anyway, guys, I feel that they will come back in that second leg and they'll absolutely smash Benfica in the second leg. But anyway, in terms of what I reckon, so Barca uh, pretty much out for me. So PSG and Dortmund to progress to the next round of the Champions League. But anyway, guys, that's the Champions League section. Over and out. Moving on to the next section, and that is the team of the week, sponsored by The Front Three. If you've not checked out The Front Three before, it is a cracking podcast slash YouTube channel with four top lads, Lawrence McKenna, Chris Hennage, and of course, Adam Boltwood. So make sure you go and check it out. But this is the team of the week. So this week's team of the week is going to set up in a 4-2-3-1. I'm not like Garth Crooks. My team has to have balance, have shape and have the right components to win a title. Anyway, let's dive in straight away. Well, first up, the goalkeeper. I can't look any further than Hugo Lloris. Liverpool did destroy um, Tottenham at the weekend, but the game would have been embarrassing if not for Hugo Lloris. He's a goalkeeper that's really shining in the Premier League in the last few seasons. He's up there with David De Gea being the best. I think they're definitely one too. I think they it fluctuates which players better inform in terms of their you know who's up. I think they're both wonderful goalkeepers. Lloris has got that ball playing, but also got that shot reaction and ability to save. And against Liverpool, 
so he basically kept Sadio Mane out. Sadio Mane could have moved on to score and you know score four goals. with the two brilliant reaction saves. Um, and again, that is what Hugo Lloris is, is as a goalkeeper. Fantastic ball player, great reactions and good sweeping off his line. But a fantastic performance against Liverpool to keep it respectable. Anyway, moving into defence, um, let's start out with right back because that's obviously how we do it, right to left. Let's not mess about. It's got to be Aspilicueta. Great performance against uh, Burnley in the Premier League. In terms of ball playing, he's really sh- um, shining as Conte's ball player. I mentioned this before um, and it was taken a little bit off. So when Conte was manager of Juve, they played more through Barzagli than they did Benucci. The Benucci thing was sort of later on in the Conte era, more the Allegri uh, um, era becoming that playmaker through the middle. And it was more the, the right centre-back who was Barzagli at that time that would be playing the balls into Perla, that would be receiving it back and going. And that's what Aspilicueta has become for Conte. He's become the Barzagli of the Conte-Juve era. In terms of ball playing, completed more passes than any other Premier League player last weekend. With 101 passes completed against Burnley. And it was a good performance from Aspilicueta. Uh, a commanding performance from the back. So that's where he's at right back. In terms of centre-backs, I think we've got, we can't look any further uh, after yesterday's performance and, and a brilliant performance against Bordeaux. We've got to have a centre-back pairing of Marquinhos and uh, Kimbembe. Both of them brilliant against PS, against Barcelona. Sorry, I mentioned that before. But in terms of what they did at the weekend uh, against Bordeaux, a different game. You know, playing a weaker opponent, you're keeping a lot of the ball. Both players were incredible in terms of their pack, pass accuracy. Marquinhos picking up a 96% pass accuracy, and uh, Kim Kimpembe uh, picking up a 97% pass accuracy. So brilliant performance from those two at centre half, and obviously pairing, playing together, they know each other's games. In terms of left fullback, I think we've got to look at Marcelo. Uh, Zidane has been playing with a 3-5-2 recently, experimenting his formations. Um, credit to Zidane in terms of trying to evolve this Real Madrid team. And we'll talk about him a little bit for, um, later on. But Marcelo, fantastic uh, against Osasuna at the weekend. Picked up a, a brilliant assist where he drifted from left wing back into like a number 10 area. Brilliant through ball for Lucas who uh, chipped the keeper and uh, the game was ended. Three goals to one, so Real. But yeah, um, Marcelo, brilliant performance at left fullback. In terms of midfield in this system, the 4-2-3-1, we're going to go with two players. But we're going to go with two sort of ball-winning, aggressive players. One of them is going to be the, the recycler. The other guy is going to be the guy getting into the penalty area. A great combination I've got here, Jack Cork and Atora Vidal. First up, Jack Cork. He's been doing really well since Paul Clement took over at Swansea. Back into the side, but also back into form in terms of what he does. Plays a very good role, just sitting in front of the back four, recycling possession in terms of tackles. He won more tackles than any other Premier League player this weekend. Uh, eight tackles, in fact, against Leicester City. But it, what I liked was how he just kept it so simple with possession, kept Swansea moving on, and there's a great balance in their midfield with Gilfie Sigurdsson, uh, Leroy Fur, and, of course, Jack Cork. But Jack Cork, the real key component against Leicester City. Moving on to Tora Vidal, was brilliant again for Bayer Munchen. Uh, won seven of his nine tackles so we've got that combative nature uh, but what I quite like about Vidal is how he's moving on um, as a player and he's, he's having some sort of there's like a, a knack where a few times this season we've seen him play the ball out wide and then get into the penalty area and then put the ball into the back of net and he, he did he scored the crucial goal at the weekend the first goal against Ingolstadt for Bayern München but his, his overall play was really top draw classic Vidal though playing the ball back and getting into the penalty area in terms of the the band of three Behind the striker, um, there's going to be some interesting players here. So obviously from right to left, um, we've got Sadio Mane. Fantastic performance against uh, Tottenham Hotspur. I mentioned in the podcast on 
Monday in terms of the race for the top four. If you're not checked that out, go and jump over to that. I'll give you my predictions of who is going to be in the top four in the Premier League come the end of the season. Sadio Mane was brilliant against Tottenham. Absolutely fantastic. Led the line, led the press, um, but also played it. He's sort of the striker in this system. He's the guy that's stretching opponents with the ball at his feet, dribbling directly at them, but also running them behind. And they really lacked that when he was at the African Cup of Nations. So him coming back um, is going to be crucial to Liverpool's sort of challenge for that top four positions. But in terms of what he did at the weekend, brilliant performance. Took his goals very, very well. In the first half, he had four shots on target. That was more than the entire Tottenham team managed combined. Anyway, moving on. We've got to have a little playmaker in there, and that's going to be Alejandro Gomez. Alejandro Gomez is really coming of age in this Atalanta team. Atalanta, um, they're really pushing for the Champions League spots in Serie A this season. A very young team, a very um, exciting team to watch. And Alejandro Gomez is the guy that's the playmaker in that system. Um, they play sort of a, a 3-4-2-1 uh, with sort of two number 10s, although you know they do move around to maybe a 1-10 behind two strikers, but it's very interchangeable and very fluid. And Alejandro Gomez against Palermo was absolutely fantastic. Created more chances than any player in Europe's top five leagues this season with seven chances created. Scored a goal and got an assist a brilliant performance from the number 10 in terms of the left hand side I think we've got to look at Angel Di Maria one because of his performance against Barcelona which we've spoke about already but also in terms of Bordeaux another very very good display from Angel Di Maria an assist and a goal and a fantastic ball for Edison Cavani who of course is the tar is the guy who are playing through the middle um, a brilliant display against Barca how many times we say that? They, you know, that's the reason why a lot of these players in the team, just because of that performance, was so good. But also against Bordeaux, um, scored his 24th and 25th goal of the season. Cavani this season scored 25 goals in 23 games. Has really become that focal point of the attack. He's taken Zlatan Ibrahimovic's position and made it his own. In terms of PSG as well, he took over Pauletta um, with his goals. Uh, at the weekend and now he's PSG's second highest scorer of all time behind the big Zlatman. man but anyway that is the team of the week from back to front we've got Hugo Lloris at centre half Aspilicueta at right back um, Marquinhos um, Kimpembe at centre half Marcelo at left back two defensive midfielders in Jack Cork and Vidal and then a front three from right to left of Sado Mane Alejandro Gomez and then Di Marie on the left hand side and Edison Cavani through the middle anyway guys Please get in the comments below on YouTube, on Acast, or tweet me your team of the week for this week. So we're considering everything up, up until last day, yesterday's game. So get them in, um, and we, you know, let me let me have a look at what you think, guys. If I've missed anyone out as well, tweet me, shout at me, swear at me, get it over. Anyway, moving on to the last section of today's wonderful. Statman Dave podcast episode three. It's going to be the previews for the Champions League games. Again, another bit of coffee because this day, boy, has it been tough. Right, so Real Madrid versus Napoli. Napoli this season in Serie A, let's start off with the, the away team, have been really, really good. They've scored more goals than any other side. Sarri's got them playing a fantastic brand of football. It's very Barcelona-esque, but it's quite it's a high-tempo Barcelona-esque where they're looking to get into the final third as quick as possible. In terms of their key man this season, you've got to look at Dries Mertens. He's the top scorer with 16 goals. Very interesting, Dries Mertens as well. The start of the season was sort of on the peripherals, looking to move away from, from Naples, uh, with Milik coming in to replace Gonzalo Higuain, obviously went to Juventus. 
Patrice Mertens has taken his chance. Milik obviously taking an ACL injury and being out until I think he's just back in the squad. I think he's back in the squad for this Champions League game. I'm a massive fan of, of Milik. I think he's a top, top striker. But in terms of what Patrice Mertens has done, he's, he's played the false nine role perfectly for Sari. Um, scored a number of brilliant goals, scored hat tricks, scored four goals. He's just been so good. Um, a little bit like Lionel Messi esque when Lionel Messi used to play false nine, coming to the ball, receiving the ball, and playing teammates in. You know, other teammates have been very good. Callion, in terms of creative sense, has got more assists than any other Serie A player. And on the other side of it, Insignia. Uh, this season Napoli's attack's quite sort of left-sided left-centric with Insignia gets a lot of the ball and the play makes in the final third in terms of passes completed in Serie A only two players and two Napoli players have completed more passes in Insignia and he's completed more passes than any other forward but it sort of tilts their diamond so Insignia comes in Callion keeps the width on the right-hand side Adrice Mertens becomes a number 10 um, or a false 9 sorry dropping into the number 10 slot but as well, another component of that attack is obviously Mariam Hamzik, one of the most gifted attacking midfielders we've seen in recent years that potentially should be at a bigger club than Napoli because he has the potential uh, to really uh, you know, command this uh, position in the likes of Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, a top, top player. But he's, to be fair, he's done well at Napoli and he's their captain and he's been enjoying his football this season. But they're the real danger men for Real Madrid this evening um, Dries Mertens Insignia Hamzik and of course Callion X Real Madrid so potentially he might have something to prove in terms of Real Madrid how they might set up this evening they've been playing a little bit of uh, formation tinkering Zinedine Zidane Zinedine Zidane as a manager I'm, it's like Carlo Ancelotti so I used to not like Carlo Ancelotti because I felt like he kept everything the same tactic tactically wouldn't change things and this is AC Milan team was just the same formation same thing every single week and he'd wait for the the big guys Alexa Kaká to explode on the scene although I feel that he has moved on we saw Real Madrid how tactically he was um, not playing the Christmas tree anymore he's trying different systems different formations and at Bayern we're seeing some really good stuff there as well so big fan of Carlo Ancelotti of course after reading his book it's a quite a, an interesting book to read I can't remember what the title is but check Carlo Ancelotti's autobiography he absolutely loves food and he loves pasta absolutely loves ravioli with pork in the middle anyway I'm massively gone on a tangent there uh, Zinedine Zidane yeah, very Carlo Ancelotti-esque in terms of his formation last season uh, kept it very very simple um, looked to play on the counter-attack in the Champions League and obviously won the tournament but what he's done this year he's trying to move the side on and playing this 3-5-2 is quite interesting with Ronaldo and Karim Benzema as the two strikers the two wing-backs Marcelo um, and either Danilo or Carvajal which works quite well and they keep that midfield three uh, which you know the first team uh, midfield three Casemiro just so so such a good defensive midfielder Tony Cruz and Luka Modric with a back three of you know Nacho uh, Varane and Ramos in there but it worked quite well for, for Real Madrid they've played some. They played it a few times they, they beat uh, Osasuna this weekend playing it the first time they played it in fact was against Sevilla because I think what um, Zinedine Zidane was trying to do was match uh, Sampoli's formation at Sevilla but in fact that day Sampoli's like nah we'll play for it at the back that week and they, they beat Real Madrid with Jovetic scoring a, a late winner ending Real Madrid's unbeaten run that was stretching what 40 odd matches and it was about to be the, one of the best ever um, but yeah so back to the system it's, it's an interesting one it fits in um, the all all the good uh, central midfielders in there you've got the two attackers in there the two wingbacks who works quite well three centre-backs but the issue with this Real Madrid team is they haven't played it that much and they're not versed to it you look at Nagelsmann's 3-5-2 over at Hoffenheim absolutely brilliant they all know their, their roles their positions if a wingback goes forward a central mid drops in if a central mid drops into that wide area the wingback comes inside positionally zonally it's perfect Zidane isn't anywhere near that level of perfection 
<clears throat> and in fact, uh, against Osasuna, they got caught out a few times by balls into the channels. Uh, Sergio Leon um, scored a scored the goal for Osasuna, and it was a simple ball into the channels in between the right centre back and the centre centre back. And it was a basic thing to defend against. And unfortunately, Real Madrid will have to work on that if they're going to use this formation in the Champions League um, in the latter stages. Potentially, we will see it against Napoli, the three-five-two. But as soon as Gareth Bale comes back, who I think he's missed a late fitness test for this game, but he'll be back. They're going to switch to the 4-3-3. Bale will be back in the side because he was so good at the start of the season in terms of his creativity, in terms of he was sort of back to the old Gareth Bale where he was driving through midfields and creating goals instead of scoring them. But also with his head, he's been really good in that sense. Um, so yeah, expect them to move to a, a 4-3-3 when Bale comes back. But the 3-5-2, they might play against Napoli and they might surprise them. In terms of the result, though, I think Zidane is going to win this. In terms of Ronaldo, they've got a player there that loves the Champions League. Ronaldo scored more goals than any other player in Champions League history in the knockout stages. 44 goals when it counts. And you think about last season when they won the Champions League, Ronaldo was scoring the goals in the big game, the Wolfsburg game, when they were... Um, you know they had that massive disadvantage from losing away at Wolfsburg. Ronaldo Hattrick won the game there, and I do think he'll be big impact this season as well. And I just think he's got a little bit too much for that Napoli back four. So I'm going to go with three-one to Real Madrid, and they'll take a lead to Naples and probably win the tie over there. Anyway, let's move on to the last one we've got to talk about, and of course it's Bayern Munich versus Arsenal. A lot of negativity surrounding the club at the moment. Um, Arsene Wenger out, Arsene Wenger in. There's a lot of um, anger from fans from certain areas but in terms of uh, what I've seen with Arsenal this season I've been quietly impressed with how Sanchez has been used as a false nine obviously Premier League top scorer uh, 17 goals 8 assists a great output from him he's become the pinnacle of the side but where I feel they're lacking cover and they're lacking depth obviously they've had a lot, lot of injuries there as a central midfield with Oxley Chamberlain having to play there at the weekend and I'm not massively impressed with Chamberlain in there when he's coming up against the likes of Thiago Vidal and Xabi Alonso quite frankly he doesn't have a chance Thiago this season has been brilliant in the Champions League. He's been brilliant in um, the Bundesliga in terms of winning the ball back in the opposition's half. He's up there with the best. He's made more interceptions in the opposition's half than any other player in Europe's top five leagues. So he's really winning the ball back from Bayern and getting them going on to the counter-attack, which is the different style under um, Carlo Ancelotti compared to the Pep style of ball retention. One player that's massively seeing the benefits of that more direct style, of course, is Lewandowski. He's been fantastic this season, uh, both in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League. So I can, you know, you can imagine they're breaking quickly and just tearing Arsenal apart on the break. Um, in terms of Thomas Muller and Lewandowski, the, in, in the last few seasons in the Champions League, since 2014-15, top scorers go in the Champions League. Cristiano Ronaldo with 29 goals, Lionel Messi with 26 goals, then Lewandowski with 20 goals and Thomas Muller 17, tied with Luis Suarez. So expect some goals there from the likes of Muller. Lewandowski, Robin's back in form, scored a great goal at the weekend. Ribery's in the side, Douglas Costa's on the bench. There's so much attacking depth for this Bayern team that they could change it up if they need to get a goal. And I'm going to go Bayern Munich, two goals to nil. So hopefully my, my predictions are better than yesterday's because yesterday's, they were absolutely rubbish. I am sorry about that, guys. I will try harder to win you those bets. But anyway, guys, that has been that for today. That has been Statman Day Football Podcast, episode three. I hope you've enjoyed it. Make sure you tell your mates about it, you share it, you tweet about it, you Facebook it, you tell your mum, your dad, your dog, your sister, and you listen to it loads, or your brother. But make sure you share it to all your pals. And until tomorrow, where we'll be talking Europa League, wrapping up the Champions League, and looking at the top ten wonder kids in world football. You don't want to miss that, do you? See you later.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 